This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome in to the Odds and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem. Eric Scopel is with me as always. And we've completely thrown out the show notes for this Monday edition because some news has happened a little earlier than we were expecting. And we're going to break it all down. Plus, Brady Breeze is opting out of the Oregon football program for 2020. All coming up next here on the Odds and Audibles podcast. But first, we want to remind you guys, today you can subscribe to DuckTerritory.com for as low as $1 for your first month, $9.95 thereafter that. Inside scoop on the Oregon Ducks, expert analysis and opinion. Read all the content across the 24-7 Sports Network. Duck fans knew some good news was coming this week. We posted it late Sunday night. Uh, it has already happened. And so this is an opportunity for you guys to, to not miss out on the next one. Come in and subscribe for, for $1 for your first month or go the annual route, $75.18, build one time to get you inside the VIP membership at DuckTerritory.com. Okay, Eric, uh, let's dis- we were going we were gonna to discuss Herbert. We were going to discuss Brady Breeze. Uh, we were going to discuss a couple more NFL notes, some Oregon team notes. Uh, and kind of the, the Monday news hit earlier than we were expecting it to. And it's the Amade Lenore saying he's coming back. He's, he's opting back into the Oregon football program. And I think this is pretty significant news at the position uh, of cornerback for the Ducks because they arguably get maybe their 1A or their 1B corner going into the 2020 football season back on the football field when a week ago, a couple days ago, it looked like the depth of that position was really, really thin. What it does is just ensure you're going to have a stud at each corner spot. Um, I think we all felt really good last week when we were talking about predicting what the secondary might look like of, okay, Mikhail Wright's going to be absolutely fine at one of those spots. But the other one is either going to be a redshirt freshman or a true sophomore who didn't play much last year or a true freshman. And that's kind of a scary thing, especially right. – when you're looking at like, oh, the second game of the season is going to be against Washington State and they're going to throw the ball 75 times possibly, um, you know, and now you have Deion Lenore back who's been, this will be his third year as a, as a starter. He's a very like, he's proven himself. He's a proven high-end defensive back at this level. And frankly, the fact that he was opting out of the season before, um, like it's because he has a legit chance to be a second, third, fourth round. I don't know. Maybe this year he comes back and he can even improve his stock and be a first round pick. I, I, that's probably a little too much, but like he's going to be a highly drafted NFL player. I mean, this is a huge addition for Oregon. And given all the hits they've taken in the secondary this off season with the opt outs of Thomas Graham of Javon Holland. And we mentioned earlier, Brady Brees, which we'll get to uh, like, this is some much needed good news. And, and a group that we said, even, even if it's, even if it's not the talent problem, it was a depth issue at a certain yeah. level of like, they were going to have like five or six scholarship corners. And I know it's a shortened season, but like that could be hard to maneuver through. So um, really big news to get Diamond back excited to have him back out and get a, a chance to watch him again. I think the thing that 
was so disappointing with some of the stuff is, is just the, the, the abrupt nature of, of like, oh, so I've already watched the last game that I'm ever going to see of Penn Sewell playing at Oregon, of Javon Holland, of Thomas Graham, of Brady Breeze. Um, at least the Amador now, we, we get another season to, to, to check him out and see what he can do. Oregon's cornerback, uh, we'll, we'll break down the depth chart here in a little bit, but Oregon's cornerback room now includes Diamade Lenore as a senior, DJ James as a true sophomore, Michael Wright as a true sophomore. You've also got Traquez Bridges, who's a redshirt freshman. You have Jamal Hill, who plays the nickelback position. He is a sophomore. You have Dante Manning, who is a true freshman five-star. J.J. Greenfield, who is another true freshman. So, all of a sudden now, like, like you said, Eric, uh, Oregon's roster no longer has to trot out a true freshman uh, at, the, at the position um, unless that guy is 100% ready to play. And you, you, I, I feel really good about a trio of Diamade Lenore, Michael Wright, and DJ James. And quite honestly, maybe, maybe DJ James is a guy – that transitions over to the nickel spot. I mean, I, I don't know. I'm just thinking about this on the fly right now. Don't sure. think he's don't think he's really had much experience playing there. But no. those would be your three best corners. And maybe you figure out can one of Diamond Michael Wright, or DJ James play in that nickel spot in place of Javon Holland in case Jamal Hill is not ready. But now you have at least I look at it as you have three guys that are established and are, are qualified, in my eyes, to be legit starters of a Pac-12 championship caliber team. And you have a couple other younger guys waiting in the wings. Primarily, I think everyone's going to focus on Dante Manning. And if, if, if just one or two of those other guys, whether that's a Manning, whether that's a Bridges, whether that's a, a J.J. Greenfield, emerges to be able to be a, a viable you know rotation guy, your cornerback room now all of a sudden – goes from being very, very thin to back to being kind of loaded. Yeah, I mean, I, I think they're pretty close to already being there. Um, you know, and I, you, the loss of Thomas Graham, we've, we've talked about it at length. It's significant from an off-field perspective as well as an on-field perspective. He was a team leader, um, a guy you'd love to have in your locker room. I think most memorably, you think about right before Camden Lewis is set to kick the field goal, Thomas Graham is – I think saying a prayer with him on the sideline. And those are the kind of intangible things that Thomas Graham provides that you don't have, but from a talent perspective and and even now from an experience perspective, I know two of the guys you mentioned have only been on the team for one season prior to this, but like there's, these are now proven commodities to have been through the rigors of a season. And Mikhail Wright in particular has been through the rigors of a season and made big plays and big moments. And DJ James has made some plays and some smaller moments. I think like you, Matt, I feel pretty dang good about him and would have been, I think confident he could have been a, a, a serviceable to, to good, probably not great replacement at corner um, for the other spot. Um, but you're right. And I do wonder like this nickel position, <clears throat> you know, and I'm sitting here <laughs> before we're full disclosure, before we're about to do the podcast, trying to figure out we're going to do a, a defensive two deep projection. I'm going like the second nickel besides behind Jamal Hill, like who the heck is it? Like <laughs> there's just, I mean, it's, it's pretty up in the air. It's a certain degree. I mean, in the spring, it was basically Holland and Hill practicing there along with Graham doing some cross training. Well, two of those guys are gone now. Um, and it'll be interesting where maybe DJ James is a natural fit there. And now you have basically your five best defensive backs on the field. So uh, that's going to be interesting to see what the dynamic of adding Lenore back does with a DJ James or a Dante Manning. Does that potentially push one of those guys over to that nickel spot? Or, or do you just now have immense depth at corner 
Um, these are the kind of conversations to be had. But like, if we're talking about the two deep really quick here, Matt, at corner, like, I think we got a pretty clear idea of what that looks like, at least a lot more clear from my perspective today than we had even yesterday when we didn't know what we thought Lenore wasn't going to be on the team, right? I think so. I mean, I look at, I look at Diomir Lenore being one of those guys, uh, probably being the boundary corner, and then his backup will be what, what it was last year, DJ James, mm-hmm. uh, as a sophomore. And then the field corner will be Michael Wright as a sophomore. And then I would, I would assume it's going to be a battle between Triquez and Dante Manning. Agreed. Yeah. And, I, I mean, I, I think that's – I mean, look, when your fourth guy as a corner is a, is a five-star freshman, like that's, that's, not that's acceptable. It's very, it's very acceptable. A couple of years ago, we'd be laughing about a five-star true freshman not starting. Like, you know, I mean, a couple, it wasn't that long ago that Thomas Graham was starting as a true freshman right. who was rated lesser than a Dante Manning. And by the way, was very, very serviceable and arguably better than his counterpart, who was, I believe, Arian Springs that season. Um, like, yeah, they're, they're pretty set at corner. And this is what we knew all along and why there was at least some level of like, okay, they could maybe take some opt-outs at this position group. Two seemed like a lot. I think Lenore, losing Grant and Lenore felt like a lot. But losing just one of them, I now go back and think, I mean, I don't, I'm not going to sit here and say they're the best secondary in the country, the best group of corners in the, in the country, because I think losing Grant probably takes you out of that conversation. But if there was any concern or, or, or I guess, question of if they were the best group in the Pac-12, to me, that's been alleviated now. I, I think Wright and Lenore are probably two of the six, five or six best corners in this conference. And you now have them back and an opportunity just to get better. And who knows? A James, a Manning, a, a, a Bridges, one of those guys could end up being in that conversation for one of the top 10 or 12 guys in the conference as well, depending upon how they play this season. So, yeah, I, I think there's a room for a lot of optimism back there. Now, the other bit of news that happened over the weekend was something we've been waiting on uh, privately at, at, between us, Eric, myself, Kevin. Um, and that was Brady Breeze's decision to – forego his 2020 football season opt out uh he said it was a very difficult decision to do um he is going to train instead and get himself ready for the nfl draft and look people could go out and and they could argue left and right whether that was the right decision to make but ultimately only one person can make that decision and have really the honest assessment of that and that's brady breeze himself because who, who, are, who am I to go tell someone, don't go chase your dreams? His dream is to play in the NFL. He yep. feels like he's ready. Uh, obviously, there's enough people uh, in his circle that have communicated with people in the NFL that felt like the feedback is, is worth exploring and, and going after. Um, and, and so I'm not going to criticize one way or the other of his decision to go or not. Uh, I think let's just assess it from how does this – where does Oregon go from, from here? Um, it certainly is, is going to change things a little bit in the secondary because I think Brady Breeze was definitely one of those enforcer-type guys. I, I look back in the 2019 season and think, okay, how many times was there a big fumble uh, and how many, or a or bone-crushing hit? And how many times did that come from Brady Breeze? Uh, I mean, he had the, fumble, the forced fumble in the Rose Bowl that set up the game-winning touchdown from Justin Herbert the very next play. Uh, he had, uh, I think, a big fumble, a forced fumble in, in the USC football game. He had a fumble recovery for a touchdown in 
the Rose Bowl. He had a couple big interceptions. Um, and I think Oregon's defense was – some of it factored into who they were playing late in the year. Uh, they made a switch. They, they pulled Verone McKinley out of the starting lineup. They, they played both of their boundary safeties, and that was Brady Breeze and Nick Pickett together to, to play a little bit bigger, to, to play a little bit you know, more physical. Um, not to say Verone McKinley can't, but Breeze and, and Pickett were, were bigger hitters than McKinley. And they, they put out those two guys – you know, they basically you know play, play the same position, and they they put them at the same you know on the field at the same time. And I think the defense you know played really well the last four games against the teams that they played because of the tight end usage and the run games that they faced and whatnot. So my question is: Is Nick Pickett now? Uh, they rotated quite a bit in 2019. Pickett and Breeze is it, this puts an importance on Pickett staying healthy through his senior year, which for the most part he's done in his career. We should know that, look, Pickett's been basically a two-and-a-half-year starter at that boundary safety position. So it's not like the drop-off is, is going to be huge and the guy that, that's you know, going to have to see the, the, the most workload because of Reese's departure is some green guy. No, it, it, like if, if there was going to be a position that you lose one of your guys, this probably was the safest one for Oregon because – I have a lot of confidence in Nick Pickett being able to come out and, and still produce a, a, a very good senior season for the Ducks. I think he's – with Lenore, if Lenore had not returned, I think Pickett would have the second most starts on the defense behind Jordan Scott. Um, and now with Lenore back, he's third. Uh, you know, and it's not that far – he and Lenore, I think – 38 like, career starts. Yeah, like he's, he's basically a – he's had three years of starting experience almost. I mean, it's, he's, he's played a ton of football at Oregon. Um, and so you feel – I feel – totally fine about Nick Pickett. I mean, like I almost look at Pickett and Breeze and I know maybe this is not how everyone else has perceived them, but like Pickett was ahead of Breeze on the depth chart all of last season um, and, until Breeze was moved over to fill in for Verone McKinley, yep. um, I, you know, and, and that gave Breeze an opportunity. He took advantage of it. One, one other play that we should note that gets lost is he also had the game ceiling fumble recovery against Oregon State um, right. in, that, in that rivalry game too. I mean, you talk about him being around the ball everywhere, but but more to the point of Nick Pickett, like I, I, and I've made this point on the message board a little bit ago of like, is he one of the most underrated defensive backs that Oregon's had of the last like 10 years? And I'm not saying he's an all-conference, all-pro caliber player. I, I don't think he's going to be an all-conference guy at Oregon this, seems, this senior season. I don't think he probably has a massive NFL future. But like he's been an extremely productive player in this defense, and these defenses have been very, very good. Um, and it's not – they haven't been very, very good despite Nick Pickett. They've been very, very good in part because of Nick Pickett. So, like, yeah, I think he's totally equipped for this. And um, this was another one of those position groups where Oregon had the luxury of having some depth back there. Of Like, there was already going to be a big position battle between Brady Breeze and Nick Pickett probably for one spot, and Verone McKinley was probably going to start at the other, or maybe Breeze would have pushed – Verone, but like I, I think Pickett was going to be in contention to start regardless of what Brady Breeze did. Yep. So I, I feel pretty good about it. I think you've now, you know, we can settle in here and say, aside from that nickel spot where you're going to be breaking in a first year starter in either Jamal Hill, we suggested a DJ James, we suggested on previous podcasts, maybe it's not out of the line that like Verone McKinley moves back to nickel and then you'd have a first year starter at safety. But you now, now with Lenore back, and, and even with Breeze gone, you've got four out of five defensive back positions that return somebody with extensive starting experience, and that's a very positive thing. And I guess extensive is, is 
maybe not fair for Mikhail Wright, but extensive playing experience because Wright hasn't started. I don't know if he's actually started a single game yet. Um, so yeah, he hasn't, he didn't start at all last year, but he's, he's borderline. Like he, we know what he is. Yeah. Um, you feel really good. I think four out of the five spots, you have someone who you've seen play and play at a high level. Now to me, it's just like, what do we do at nickel? That's the question. What, what is Oregon doing at nickel and, and who's that player going to be? Do they go with a more experienced guy in a Verona McKinley and then play maybe a Bennett Williams or a Steve Stevens at the other safety spot? Or do you feel comfortable with Jamal Hill at nickel and you just kind of leave him out there? McKinley has, if you go back to last season, he started 11 of the 14 games that he played. You have Diomale Lenore, who has, real quick, tough math, uh, 40 career starts under his belt. Uh, you also have Nick Pickett, who has 38 career starts under his belt. So you, you have three guys with double-digit starts under their belts coming back for Oregon next season. Uh, Michael Wright played in 14 games, didn't start anybody. But like you said, you know, he is. You know who he is. DJ James, uh, a little less notoriety than Michael Wright. A little less, I should say, probably a lot, more, a lot less. <laughs> uh, 13 games played, though for DJ James. So he's not going to be a guy that, that all of a sudden goes from playing in four or five games to playing 14 and, and possibly, you know, to playing a full season and possibly starting, you know, he's played in every big game essentially uh, for Oregon from 2019. Jamal Hill, same type of a deal as DJ James. He played in all 14 games for the ducks. I look at that as that's a guy that, yo, yeah, he maybe didn't play a ton, you know, every single game, but, Every single game, so against Auburn, against Washington, against Stanford, against USC, against ASU, against Oregon State, against Utah, against Wisconsin, he saw the field. So, you know, he's been on the big stage before. So I think that's – I look at this group, and like you said, the depth is better now, the experience is better now, the talent is still the same, there's just better – there's just more of it. And I I think the one thing I have to wonder about Brady Breeze's departure is – what does the depth chart look like behind McKinley? And what mm-hmm. does the depth chart behind Nick Pickett look like? Because that's the one spot I think there's not a ton of experience now. Bennett Williams is going to be a junior. He's an all, he was a freshman All-American, but so was Verone McKinley uh, the same year. Uh, what does Bennett Williams do? Is he capable of playing right away and giving Oregon a little bit of a drop, you know, Little to no drop-off if, if he has to come in. Steve Stevens, this is a guy that was higher rated than Javon Holland coming out of high school. Yep. Uh, both of them safeties. Holland showed up day one and was one of Oregon's better players. 16 games started in Holland's career, 27 games played. He's off to the NFL as a, as a potential first-round draft pick. Steve Stevens, in the same time frame, has, has played in just a handful of football games. He redshirted in 2018, playing in three uh, this past year, I believe he played in a handful as well. Played 13. So, 13. So is, is Steve going to be ready to play in a bigger role now? That's going to be my question. I kind of buy – I'm buying a little of the Steve Stevens stock here in terms of like he came in as, again, the, the, the highest-rated defensive back in that group. I think he might have – I'd have to be fact-corrected on this. He might have been like the highest-rated safety commit like Oregon had ever landed at the time. Um, again, I, I need to be fact-checked on that one. But if not, he was in that discussion. And that freshman season, he like just didn't play at all, right? He was behind, And he's behind a ton of great players. This last season is basically the same thing. Like he, play, he appeared in 13 games, but 
most of those most of those appearances, I'm pretty sure, were just special teams. And I know he made some plays. I think he had a, an interception. He might have had an interception for a touchdown um, against Nevada. But um, he he played a little bit. But like, I think he's talented. And I think you know, we sp- I spoke with him last year before the season about how humbling that redshirt freshman season was, where he comes in as this big time recruit and more highly rated than a lot of the guys and everybody else plays ahead of him. And he had to sit out and he, you know, he communicated that that was a big eye opening experience and you're not to go too far down Steve Stevens, but like, I think he gets forgotten overlooked a little bit. And I think it's going to be fun and, and interesting to see him get an opportunity here now as again, a former very highly regarded recruit who hasn't had much opportunity to play and much opportunity in part because of the talent around him. Well, now some of that's cleared out and he, I think is going to get a chance here like he's pretty much going to be in the two deep unless he's just not ready at all. And if that's the case, that's a major disappointment in terms of where his career trajectory has gone. But um, give me some Steve Stevens stock. I, I think he gets lost in this. We don't talk about him very much given all the other talent. Like, I'm not going to be shocked if by the end of the season, you know, we did that story about like, or that conversation last week about candidates who could be a breakout for the next season. Like could Steve Stevens be one of those guys? Like he maybe he plays really great this season. And he sets himself up where, um, in 2021, like Nick Pickett's gone, and he's now suddenly the the the, the odds-on favorite for that job. Like I'm not going to be stunned at all if, if Stevens has that kind of a season. For those referencing or, or unfamiliar with his high school recruitment, Steve was the 137th best player in the country, the 11th best safety in the country, and the. 2018 recruiting class and some of the schools that had offered Steve before he committed to the Ducks, LSU, Oklahoma, USC, Notre Dame, uh, Nebraska, Colorado, Boise State, Andy Avalos, Boise State, ASU. So, I mean, he's got a good list of schools that that were after him. And and maybe you're right. Maybe – Maybe we are sleeping a little bit on Steve Stevens. And, and look, this is the reality here. When you recruit good players, like Oregon has done the last three or four seasons, uh, and, and, and not to devalue any of the ones that came before that, but when you recruit at a high level, top 10 level, like the Ducks have done you know, the last two and a half years or so, it's expected guys go early. And it's expected that when sure. guys go early, someone else steps up. And I just looked, I just fact-checked myself. Not only was Steve Stevens the highest-rated safety at the time, he is still the highest-rated safety uh, commitment or signee Oregon has ever had. So, like, there's reason to, I think, to, to at least expect, not expect, but reason to at least believe he's capable of being a very, very good player um, given an opportunity this year. And you're right. I think he hasn't had much of an opportunity in the past. It opens up, and, and now we see what he can do. All right. Now – Let's look at just kind of the, the overall defense here for a second. Um, this is basically who we think Oregon will, will field. Uh, we, there's no more expected departures. Anything else that would happen from a departure standpoint would be uh, kind of a shock to the system, if you will, from an Oregon vantage point. There's no one else that we're looking at or you know, we're tracking as potential opt-outs. So bare minimum, uh, unless there's a transfer, into the program, bare minimum, this is kind of what Oregon's defense is like. We, we know Brady Reese is gone. We know Javon Holland is gone. We know Thomas Graham is gone. We know Andrew Johnson, a underclassman linebacker, he opted, he opted to, to leave the program and transfer over the weekend. Um, he played marginally as a redshirt freshman last year. 
Uh, don't think he was really going to be a guy that was going to play a ton this season anyways. Um, but those are kind of the offseason uh, departures, if you will, going into fall camp, which is a couple days away from starting. What's your gut feel on this defense now? I'm really excited to see them play Washington State um, because not that we won't learn things from Stanford, but we kind of know what Stanford is. And frankly, what Stanford does fills in with what Oregon does really well on defense right now. And that is Oregon is going to have a fully, they return all their guys on that defensive line, which by the way, I think got overlooked last year in terms of like Oregon was really great against the run and Jordan Scott and Austin Falu and some of these younger defense, Popo Amave, obviously Kayvon is, you know, mostly known, you know, most notarized by his ability to get after the quarterback, but he was also great in run support at times, I thought, and developed that part of his game. And then this defensive – and then these linebackers, the second level here. And I know they lost Troy Dye and Bryson Young, but Mace Funa was borderline a starter last year, and he was really good out there. Right. Um, we know Isaac Slade was fantastic. Uh, Samson New is a really great football player. And the fact that he's a senior and is not going to probably get much of a chance to start, like that's, a, that's kind of – that blows my mind that he's been around that long. Um, and that he – you know, like, I still remember when he was this up-and-coming upstart true freshman not that long ago. Um, and then you bring in these other five-star players. Like, I think that the, the front seven is going to be awesome, is my place. They didn't lose basically anybody aside from Troy Dye and Bryson Young. And those are, those are significant departures, obviously. Um, and so I think that Stanford game, I, I really feel like you're going to be like, okay, this defense is going to be awesome in that game. Because I don't think Stanford has the, yeah. receiver, the receiving talent, the quarterback talent, from my perspective, and maybe I'll be wrong on this, to really challenge Oregon's secondary. Um, I am going to be very curious to see how the secondary holds up. Um, against a Washington State. And again, Washington State also a ton of question marks. We don't know exactly what this offense looks like. We don't know exactly what their quarterback situation looks like. They lost, I think, I believe they lost their top four wide receivers. And by the way, I think still have one guy back who had a thousand yards or something crazy like that. I'll have, to, I'll have to go back and like check that stat. Like it was something insane. They had like five 1,000 receivers and like one of them was coming back still. Um, like, so, so this is, you know, that's going to be where I'm curious to see is that secondary. That's still where all to me, all the question marks are. Like I, I, I know there's two positions that are being replaced at linebacker. I feel pretty good saying it's going to be Justin Flo at one and Mace Spoon at the other. Maybe it's a Noah Sewell or Samson New pushing um, a Justin Flo at that spot. Maybe an Adrian Jackson or a uh, Trevor Ma'ai pushes Mace Spoon in a way we weren't expecting. But I feel pretty comfortable with that. It's the secondary to me. And I know we spent most of the podcast talking about it, so I won't go into too much detail. But just I'm very curious to see how it comes together. I think that nickel spot is the one place – on this defense that I'm going like they're replacing a really, really great player in Javon Holland potentially with the weakest link on that defense. And that would be the area I get a little concerned with. I look at this defense and think they're still positioned to be the best defense in the PAC 12 and to still be one of the nation's best defenses in the country. And quite honestly, they're still built so that Oregon can lean on the defense the first few games to win them football games so that the offense can kind of work through the kinks and figure things out and, and be able to get to high optimal levels right away, uh, you know, a couple weeks down the road. I think it's extremely beneficial for Oregon seeing as who they have to play and when they have to play uh, during the 2020 shortened COVID season. Opening at, at home against a Stanford team that, that – has been decimated by transfers, decimated by opt-outs. Uh, their recruiting has, has not been what it's typically been the last few years. Um, you, you said it, yeah, fairly confident that Oregon should be able to win that football game. They might be able to win that football game scoring 17 points 
okay. in that one. And that that's going to put a ton of, uh, it's going to relieve a lot of stress. I think that that first game on Oregon's offense to be really good knowing who Oregon has coming back. The Washington state game is a little scary. No doubt about it. A little scary always is, especially when it's in Pullman in November, which it is. Uh, I looked it up over the weekend, average temps in Pullman in mid-November are low 40s. Uh, it's going to be a cold game, especially if it's a night game. That's even colder probably. Um, that game is still a little bit scary, but I think who Oregon has to play early on is going to really allow them to lean on this defense, which is still going to be pretty darn good. I think the front seven is is tremendous. Kayvon Thibodeau, Jordan Scott, Austin Folio, Popo Amave, Brandon Dorless, Christian Williams, all guys, Keon Ware Hudson, all guys that are going to be dominant forces for Oregon's defense up front. You add Justin Flo, you add Noah Sewell to a linebacker core that includes Isaac Slade, MJ Cunningham, Drew Mathis, Mace Funa, uh, Adrian Jackson. And it really feels like the linebackers are going to be the strength of this unit. I know the defensive line probably will feel, oh, shaded. And of course, you know, overlooking the big dudes at once again. But I just look at the speed, the size, the depth, the proven depth of this group and think, boy, like, if Samson knew, like we look at Samson new and think, I don't know if Samson's would, would, would be on an elite teams as a starting linebacker, but when he's like your third or fourth best inside linebacker, that <laughs> says something like the, the guy is productive. He plays, uh, and he plays well. He's just not a starting linebacker and, you know, for a top 10 team in my eyes. Um, but he's a damn good you know, third or, or, or fourth inside linebacker, the guy that, you know, first or second guy off the bench when one of the guys gets has to get sub, subbed out. And if he has to play for half because of an injury or he has to play for a game because of an injury uh, or when he comes in for his 25, 30 snaps, he's going to be really good. Like I, I, I look at that and think this is, you know, if, if your second or third string linebackers are Samson New and Drew Mathis, that's a pretty talented group. I think I, I, you know, I hadn't taken appraisal really on which position groups on defense I like the most. I probably agree with you now that I'd say linebacker is probably where I feel the best about, despite losing a Troy Dye and a Bryson Young. I'm curious, Matt, if you were just to to look at the entire team as a whole and look at all the position groups, is linebacker in your mind like the position you feel best, like including offense now? Like, is is that the top position group on the team? Because I think that would have felt kind of ludicrous prior to some of these opt outs. Because defensive back, defensive back felt like it was for so long. Yeah. Um, looking at it now, maybe. I, I go back to running back. Like That's the other spot. Because I, I know Verdell has had his health issues, but Oregon knows he went healthy. He's one of the better backs in the, in the country in the Pac-12. They also know that they have two very good – backup running backs and Travis Dye and Cyrus Abilakio, both of which could be starters for a number of other teams in the Pac-12 and put up decent numbers. Um, I would probably say yes to inside linebacker being the most com- the, the linebacker group as a whole that I feel the most confident about. Um, but I look at running back and, and that would be my other choice. It's, it's actually really tough to – pick a, t- a group besides running back or linebacker that you could 
put up above that. Maybe D line, but like I look at the D yeah. line and say, okay, Kayvon, Jordan, and Austin. Um, I feel extremely good about those three guys. But if all three of them come off the football field, is Oregon's defensive line how big of a drop off do they take without those three guys? Exactly on, on the on the field. Like I I feel like if if Oregon lost Verdell and lost Die and they had to roll with Cyrus and Sean Dollars and uh, Trey Benson and Javon Wilson, like I still feel pretty confident that they can be a capable, you know, respectable unit. Um, and you, you're down your you're top two guys. Outside linebacker, I, I feel like if, if all of a sudden you said, okay, uh, Isaac Slade, MJ Cunningham, Funa, and Asian Jackson are gone, like you look at this unit and say, okay, well, we have Justin Flo, we have Noah Sewell, we have Drew Mathis, we have Samson New, uh, and we've got some, some question marks at the outside spots with Andrew Folio or, or Trevin Maai or Isaac Townsend, but we know we have three or four inside linebackers couple of them could bounce the outside that could still be really good it's fun man it's fun looking through the stuff through that lens of like like yeah is, is, is linebacker now did it, did it just take the mantle over this over the opt-out period over defensive back I think it did and then it's what's the best position on offense and I'd agree it's probably running back I think receiver is probably the next one I would just throw in there along with defensive line so we don't need to run we don't need to run through every position group uh, to kind of like appraise it all but like I, I think we've moved to a place here, which is not what I was expecting to entering fall camp, especially in the spring of like, yeah, I think the linebacker, I think the linebacker is the best position group on the team. And I don't, I definitely didn't feel like I would have said that in March. There's, I think I would have probably had them at best second. Probably. Yeah. Probably at best, probably would have had them second behind defensive back. Um, maybe third behind running back. I'd have to go back and, and think about it. I might, I, might, I might even have rank. I might even have something on the record from March where I was ranking the position groups, <laughs> which, which heck I should probably do that. Now there's a, a content piece. You'll probably now see up on the, on the site later this week. It's going to do it for us here on this odds and Audible's podcast. Thank you for listening to the show. Consider subscribing for as low as $1 for your first month. And if money's tight right now and you can't afford to subscribe, you can always support the podcast in a free manner. And that's by, Subscribing to us for free on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify, whatever you use to listen to the show and also give us a review. Those are free as well and those also help us tremendously. So for Eric Scopel, I'm Matt Prem. You've been listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever or... I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.